This podcast is presented to you by Fuller Seminary. Now available, the Fuller Leadership Scholarship for students who begin the Certificate of Christian Studies in spring of 2019 or summer of 2019. This new scholarship will cover up to 100% of certificate's tuition cost for select students and is designated for ministry and marketplace leaders looking for new ways to impact their congregation, community, and calling. Take courses in the areas like missional churches and leadership, Christian ethics, dynamics of power and gender in Christian leadership. For more information, visit fuller.edu backslash leadership scholarship. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Conversations. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship through interviews with people doing groundbreaking work and renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from ministers, authors, and practitioners from across the fellowship and beyond. This is Andy Hale. This week's podcast conversation is brought to you by Wake Forest University School of Divinity. Several School of Divinity alumni have thrived within Baptist life, serving in significant positions of leadership in local churches and larger denominational organizations. The school's newly launched Baptist Commons program draws on this success and fosters student leadership, engages alumni, and cultivates relationships with supporters to deepen its distinct Baptist heritage and role in fostering excellence among diverse communities of Baptists. To find out more, visit divinity.wfu.edu or call 336-758-5121. Our guests for this week's podcast are co-authors for The Life of the World, Miroslav Volf and Matthew Crossman. Miroslav is the founder and director of the Yale Center for Faith and Culture, as well as a professor of theology at Yale University Divinity School. Matthew is an associate research scholar and director of the Life Worth Living program at Yale Center for Faith and Culture, as well as a lecturer of divinity and humanities at Yale University. Gentlemen, thank you for joining the conversation. Great to be with you. Indeed. Well, let's jump right into it. I think the most pressing question I'd like to ask you, since you're both diehard soccer fans, is what are Croatia and the United States' chances are making to the 2020 uh, World Cup in Qatar? <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, Matt, Matt knows more about probably about Croatian team than I, than I do. Uh, you know, I, I watch them o- only when they uh, when they get to a certain a certain level of international uh, prominence and 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 uh, and uh, and level in terms of competition. Uh, so I I don't know. I don't know. I. Uh, we're hopeful. Oh, yeah. a small nation. You know, there, there are about 4.5 million Croatians all, all together, and uh, we've got a marvelous team, and I hope we can uh, at least get in this time around. <laughs> yeah, the U.S. The U.S. had better make it, especially with Chris, uh, Christian Pulisic. Uh, hopefully, hopefully he gets developed well at Chelsea, and uh, and things will go better for the U.S. than this last time around. It's well, an embarrassment to to not make the the the, the finals. Um, uh, as a nation of our size yeah well I, everybody was uh you know pulling for croatia against france you know the last last cup final so uh, look for for most of us we read your work and we hear your lecturers but uh, we really didn't, don't get to know the person behind the genius so take us a little deeper into your story uh, matt let's start with you yeah well so i um uh, i uh, uh grew up in the church but i think as i mentioned at the beginning of the book i um I think the most theological thing I've ever done in my life is plant a church. So I was a uh, part of a, um, a 
sort of accidental church plant uh, here in New Haven, Connecticut, um, uh, when I was in graduate school. Um, uh, for anybody who's listening, I do not recommend planting a church and doing a PhD at the same time. But that's uh, that's what we found ourselves doing, um, and it's such a, a life-giving thing. It was a, a vineyard church here in town, and um, man, we just loved um, doing life together with people who were um, passionate about uh, Jesus, passionate about the truth, passionate about um, what it meant to to live life that was truly oriented around what what our core what our core beliefs were. Um, and it was just a blessing to be with a group of people. For whom um, every every question of why required required a good answer and required um, a sort of lifestyle that matched up with with the with the good answer once once you once you found it. Um, so yeah, so I was uh, part of the team that uh, planted that church about 11 years ago, and then served as the senior pastor, lead pastor there for six years, and uh, all the while doing a PhD in New Testament studies at Yale, which was. Um, a great rigorous training. Um, uh, it was hard to have that balance with regular preaching, but ultimately a really, really great combination. And then I've just been um, blessed to be a part of the, the the team here at the Yale Center for Faith and Culture since finishing my PhD. Um, and even more blessed to be uh, connected immediately to the to the Life Worth Living program, uh, teaching program I direct here. I get to sit down with Yale undergraduates and talk to them about uh, what what is a good life. Um, what's what's really worth wanting out of life how do we pursue that life um yeah that's uh, that's a little bit about me where i'm coming from well an extra jewel of uh in your crown of righteousness for starting a church i just uh, left and uh, pastoring a new church start for eight years mm. Mm -hmm. it's not easy work but it's uh i, I love the nature of it is just you're, you're all in <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the, the downside is it's all encompassing. The upside is it's all encompassing. Yeah. Well, Miroslav, tell us a little bit more about you. Well, I mean, I, I know something about uh, pastoral work and being uh, having downsides and upsides. Uh, I'm a, I'm a preacher's kid. My dad was a Pentecostal minister for uh, many years in former Yugoslavia. And I swore to God, I will never do to my kids what my dad did to me. Uh, becoming a, a minister and searing uh, a child and bringing into the world who would be a, a, a kind of preacher's uh, kid. So it, 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 uh, it precipitated uh, 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 quite a bit of disgruntlement, not just with, uh, uh, with the church situation there, but also with faith itself. But once um, I found my way back to, uh, to faith when I was about... Uh, um, tail end of 15, beginning of 16, uh, I was then um, uh, completely, completely in. I was the only openly professing kid, uh, Christian kid in uh, this, my high school. Uh, everybody was on me asking questions how I could do that. I was both geekish and 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 the kind of uh, uh, and and, and uh, fairly decently uh, dressed uh, kid, and they kind of couldn't put these things together. My faith, my uh, fashion style, uh, and uh, uh, and my my uh, interest in, in intellectual issues, and that led me to explore theology. Um, uh, and devote uh, most of my energies, uh, intellectual energies, to reading widely related to the Christian faith, its um, plausibility, its, uh, its kind of its vision of of life. Um, 
Um, and I was just recently reflecting uh, on, on this. This was when I was 16. I'm now 62, I think. Um, and which means that for about, what, 46 years, I was a student of theology. Um, 46 years. And amazing thing for me is that actually I don't remember a single time that I regretted uh, choosing the vocation of a theologian. Not a single time in 46 years. Um, so I'm a very happy theologian, but I'm unhappy about the state of theology today. <laughs> so happy theologian in an unhappy state of theology would be what, uh, what you could describe me. Now, I can't let something pass without going back to it. What were you wearing that you were standing out from everybody else? Well, you know, so, so in the 70s, uh, early 70s, uh, platform shoes, bell-bottom uh, jeans, uh, Indian gauze, uh, skinny shirt, uh, uh, hair up to, the, up to my, uh, my shoulders, and all of this gotten from, from abroad. You know, this is a communist country. Uh, to have all that stuff, uh, it was it was kind of a cool thing then, right? <laughs> I, sh I should say, Mirosov is still uh, the best dressed around the office these days. So no, yeah. I can I can afford it. They all have to wear ties, you know, <laughs> and I can wear whatever I want. <laughs> you should definitely bring that back and walk across campus next week and and all that get up. Uh, well, you know, that, I, I should. I, I, that would kind of fit now. The 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 70s have returned. <laughs> My wife picks on me because she's like, you have so many clothes. It's like, well, some of them is I just don't ever get rid of anything because it's guaranteed in about 10 years it's going to come back in style. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, you like each other enough to have written a book together. Um, but before we get to the book, uh, let's talk a little bit about the, the Yale Center for Faith and, and Culture. Um, uh, Mirzov, you're the founder and director. Matt, you're being the director of the Center for Life Worth Living, which is part of the program. Take us into the center's formation. Yeah, so, so, so basically the center was started at, at the Divinity School, um, partly as a result of self-study of the Divinity, Divinity School, which uh, resulted in a, in a very simple conviction that we are really good at doing uh, theological scholarship, but we are not so good at reaching out uh, and, uh, and uh, kind of thinking more together with the public about the significance of the Christian faith. Um, then when I came along, um, I was offered to, uh, to start a center, uh, first uh, on actually evangelical theology, and I said, nah, that will be kind of a niche area it, uh, at the Divinity School. I'd rather do more broadly uh, from a, a, a more broadly in engagement between faith and, uh, and culture. And uh, for a while, our mission was to be a research uh, center at a major, of course, research in, in a university, but we are also at the professional school. And so giving legs to idea was also significant. So it combined these two things. For a while, we, we did the Christian faith and economics and the Muslim-Christian uh, relations, both areas in which I work. And then a very important shift came in the life of the center, uh, and that's after I read a book by one of our colleagues, Anthony Kronman, um, entitled his law school professor. Uh, the book is uh, entitled uh, Education's End on Why American Colleges and Universities Have Given Up on the Meaning of Life. 
And this book was uh, um, uh, kind of articulated something that I that I felt uh, myself, but didn't quite have the words uh, for it. Um, namely, that both the kind of humanities, but with humanities also theology, have steered or, or and strayed away from the original purpose for which the universities as whole were founded, namely to have at the very heart of university endeavor a question of the meaning of the purpose. Uh, of, of human life, to think who we are as human beings, how do we fit together, and uh, what kind of good ought we, uh, ought we pursue. And once I realized that, I decided then I, it's very important to orient the entirety of the work of the center in that, that direction. And so we've then, uh, from the beginning, uh, started these two programs. So one program is specifically Christian, uh, Christianly inflected at the Divinity School, and it's centered around the course uh, Christ and being uh, human, and explores the bearing of Christ uh, for our vision of who we as humans are and who we are and ought to be today. And then it was Life Worth Living uh, program again, centered around the uh, around the course Life Worth uh, Worth Living, which was. A more pluralistic in its character, pursuing that question in the context of uh, college uh, education and trying to help students navigate uh, this question in conversations with great both religious and uh, philosophical tradition traditions. And then uh, maybe two or three, two years, uh, three years down uh, down the road uh, of uh, moving in that direction, Matt joined us. And uh, Matt is uh, Matt is uh, not just a wonderful um, uh, church planter and uh, communicator, preacher, and, uh, and and a great New Testament scholar, but he's a great teacher, uh, and teaching is one of his uh, one of his passions, and he's done a great job uh, expanding uh, the the reach of that course, and uh, we found great resonance uh, with it, and this book uh, for the life of the world. Uh, in a sense, gives a theological rationale, theological rationale to do just what the center does. In a sense, in writing it, we wanted to explain what we are about. So, how, Matt, how does the you know how do we go from the class setting of um, a life worth living um, into the application within the students' lives? Uh, what does this look like on a day-to-day -day basis for you? Yeah, so um, I, I came into this in part, you know, I'd been, I'd been teaching uh, New Testament um, as a grad student, and, um, you know, I've, uh, New Testament studies uh, had been in, in certain parts of, of the university around here a, a matter of sort of historical inquiry. An interest, introduction to New Testament course was a sort of specialized course in classics about, you know, the growth of a new religious movement uh, a couple thousand years ago. And I found that was unsatisfying and not really meeting with the questions the students had who wanted to talk about um, how did these texts uh, inform the, the living faith um, of, uh, of uh, their, their friends, their colleagues, hallmates, people they read about in the newspaper, whatever it was. So I, I had redesigned the New Testament course around here to start to ask those sorts of questions. You know, around the edges, can we find places to write constructive theological papers about um, uh, marriage and family, about power and empire, about uh, money and poverty. Um, and then I heard what these guys were doing with Life Worth Living, and I thought, well, this is cheating. Um, all, they're, they're taking everything I had to find room to like put around the, around the periphery of a New Testament course, and they've just, the, the whole course is only about, about these normative questions. 
And so that's, that's really what this what this course is doing for students. And we had a, a, a student who took the course, and we've gotten feedback like this many times, but a student who was a philosophy major who said that taking life worth living was the first time, even as a philosophy major, the first time when it had occurred to her that in fact she had a philosophy. And someone had asked her what she really thought, um, not just historically interacting with the ideas of the great philosophers, but what she really took to be the fact of the matter about, about a good life. And so um, we, we do, we have, we have students come in and it's a very different sort of course. I mean, they're, uh, on, on the one hand, it, it can seem quite regular. They're, they're reading the great texts of the world's great traditions, um, Western, non-Western, um, ancient, and, and some contemporary, more modern traditions as well. Um, but what's different about it is that they are, um, we're asking them to put their own lives on the table. Um, we're asking them to uh, reflect not just about what one or another person in their, in their text uh, has said about these big questions of, of a good life, but, um, but what, what do they in fact think? So we take them on a, on a weekend retreat as part of the course. We um, ask them to write personal reflection papers. Um, and and we and we do we see it sh shape their uh, shape their lives. Um, I had a student who um, who ended up sharing um, her, her final paper for Life Worth Living, in which she just articulated what is her vision of a of, of a good life. Um, that that paper became the the foundation for her for her comments at her her father's memorial um, a, a year after she had taken the course. We had students take the course and then spend the following summer. You know, working on a, on a on a boat in the Aegean Sea, rescuing migrants uh, who've, who've come into trouble out out on the seas. Um, we've had uh, students go on to uh, train to you know, a woman training to be one of the first uh, female Orthodox rabbis. Um, we, anyway, we've just seen lots of really interesting sort of takeaways. The students sort of come come alive, um, and they come to various different sorts of answers, but they've all been sort of infected with. Um, a fascination with these questions, which we take to be the most important questions of our lives. Uh, a few weeks back, you released a book together for the life of the world, Theology That Makes a Difference. Why now? What, what's going on in your fields that you say, we need to write a manifesto about returning to the fundamental human questions of truth and goodness and life? Um, you know, um, uh, what, what's happening in our fields is, I think, happening also in the more broad, uh, broadly in the wider, uh, wider culture. So that the question of the purpose of human life, or what kind of human being is truly worth being, what kinds of desires is truly worth having, that that question has been has been marginalized. We. Uh, you can look at, uh, uh, at some of the sociological work which describes how in the absence of agreement about uh, the common vision of the good life, we have as a culture, um, both in our kind of cultural sensibilities and in our institutions, tended to concentrate then uh, on resources that we need so that we can follow our changing uh, dreams about the kind of life that we want to live without having much reflected about what kind of life that is. And we see that that's what uh, economy is about. We see that's what politics is, tends to be about. We see that the, that's what universities tends to be about. That's why humanities in part tends to be about. That's what theology Actually, in many cases, that's what also Christian faith that is being proclaimed um, 
tends to be uh, tends to be about, and that is, I think, a kind of fundamental impoverishment of uh, the kind of the human spirit that we are witnessing as a kind of broad cultural trend. Uh, I said theology has also participated in that, uh, giving us intellectual resources to understand Christianity as a, as a movement, uh, how it emerged, uh, how it spread but not to ask the fundamental question that motivates Christian faith itself, namely, what do I do to inherit the eternal life? What does life abundant mean? What does it mean to follow Jesus and so forth, right? So the idea then was we, we need to return back in theology to what is at the core of the Christian faith, not just for the sake of theology, but for the sake of the world. And that's why the title of the book is For the Life of the world. That's what theology ought to be uh, about, and that will energize theology. You know, two days ago, I was in uh, uh, in New York, and I was in the, in the New York Public Library where Marilyn Robinson uh, gave a, gave a lecture. And after that lecture, she and I uh, she and I chatted, uh, and because she's coming to Divinity School for spend the spend the semester. And uh, she had some experience with theology students uh, at another institution, I won't name it, uh, but she was complaining how students uh, can't quite name uh, theology, what, what theology is about as their own existential concern. So they always have to step back and uh, analyze, criticize, uh, rearticulate, but not quite existentially engaged. And she said, they're all bad theologians because they're not, and theology is a bad shape in the bad situation because people who do theology actually are not very excited. They don't have a theological, as I would put it, theological error. And I think that's the main thrust that we try to, uh, try to give to this, uh, to, to, to our work in theology. Articulate the positive vision of the good life and articulate it and debate it, uh, but put it out as something with which people can identify existentially and which can guide us in the way in which we think about uh, our lives. When I, when I read this book, I kept thinking, well, I wish I could hand this to my undergraduate and graduate professors who had me read endless works by historical and modern theologians that needed a, a lexicon themselves to write these daggum books. And these things have no real bearing or any relevance on my life and calling as a minister. And I guess one of my takeaways from this is that we often spend so much time thinking about the intricate details of, of theological and philosophical discourse that, that have no real bearing on real people facing real issues. You wrote, uh, theology has a contribution to make, and theology must make that contribution if it is to remain true to its purpose, which is the same as the goal of Jesus' mission. Take us a little deeper there. Yeah. So I think um, I, th I think about um, the church, the church I grew up in. It's a great church. Very grateful for a lot of what was happening there. Um, but was but but my experience in that church largely it was in a, a wealthy suburb, um, and my experience of the Christian faith, which may have had as much to do with the culture in which the church existed than it, it had to do with the church itself. But my experience of the Christian faith was essentially that. To be a Christian was to pursue the same goals that everyone else was pursuing. Amass as much power and wealth and prestige as you can. But if you're going to be a Christian, you have to do that with one arm tied behind your back. Um, you can't exploit anyone. You can't rip anybody off. Um, 
this this is how I thought about the Christian the Christian faith relating to the Christian life. Now, of course, you can invert that entirely. There are some these days who would say that the relationship between the Christian faith and life is, is would uh, would be almost the almost the opposite. Yes, you have all the same all the same goals, but the Christian faith helps you accomplish that those goals. The Christian faith is the way to become rich and powerful. Um, I what what changed for me and what really got where the Christian faith really got a hold of my life was when in college I encountered a group of Christians for whom Christianity wasn't primarily about the means of life, but instead about this relation, this dynamic relationship with Jesus that defined the goals and the ends of your life. That was going to give you a, a, a different sort of meaning and purpose. Um, and so I, I think even more so than being about whether theology is practical or impractical, I think that's really what we're driving at in this book is trying to say is our is does our theology does, is the, are the stakes of theology um, merely about the means of our life? You know, are they uh, are morning devotionals like our morning calisthenics that um, are just going to help us go go off and, and be more effective and more efficient in whatever it is that we've already decided to do with our lives? Um, or are are the stakes of of the Christian faith the stakes of our theologizing actually? Um, do they go much deeper than that? Are, are they about the fundamental question of purpose, um, of purpose and the ends and the goals um, of our lives individually, collectively, as, as, a, as a species, as, a, as, as God's creation as a whole? Um, and and that, that's, I think, what we're trying to drive at in the book. This podcast is presented to you by the Center for Congregational Health. At the Center, we believe God has called and empowered congregations to change the world. For 25 years, Center consultants, coaches, and educators have been supporting congregations, clergy, and lay leaders as they meet the ongoing challenges of congregational life, including training ministers to manage transition, helping congregations work through polarizing conflict, coaching clergy to discover and utilize their gifts for ministry, and assisting congregations in discerning God's call to future missions and ministry. Center consultants and coaches don't dispense expert advice. Instead, they recognize the uniqueness of each congregation and work to create the space needed for God's people to discern and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Please visit our website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about the center and find the help you need in order to thrive in missions and ministry. We're in a, a culture of now, uh, we expect instant results, same day shipping, made to order without any resistance. We, we want to author our own story. Um, so, so what is the balance of, of theological constructs and personal experience? Um, as we talk about, you know, allowing people to live into their own philosophy, their own theology, if you will. What? You uh, so a couple a couple things come for me. One is to say that um, we have to be careful about the way that we think about our particularity. Um, on the one hand, yeah, there's there's a sort of attention to our own difference that simply be, simply valorizes our difference simply because it's because we're different. Um, and whatever I want is good because I want it. I think in the book we use the analogy of the sort of uh, the relationship we have, we expect to have uh, with the, the the server at a restaurant, who is going to uh, praise our choices, whatever we choose off the menu, um, as, as good choices, basically because we made them. Um, theology, I take it, I, I, if our theology, be, if we relate to our theology this way, then I think we've we've lost our way. 
On the other hand, though, when you're talking about the sort of speed with its relationship to our particularity, I, I almost think it has the other, the other, um, the opposite relationship, which is to say, the fastest way to do theology is to take, is to give no care or attention to our own particularity and our own differences. Um, one image we're starting to use around the office to sort of think about uh, the, the sort of theology that we're after is to distinguish, to say that what we're after is theological slow food as opposed to theological fast food. Um, theological fast food, one of its characteristics, in fact, is is to take is to pay no mind to the particular differences of culture or of individuality, or, or of or or indeed of historical location where we happen to be living and what what's happening in the mo in the moment and how is God acting, particularly in this moment. Um, theological slow food, on the other hand, what we're really after, um, part of what makes it take longer is precisely attending to the particularities of uh, what's happening in our culture. Um, what 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 is our history? What is um, where did our peoples come from? Um, what has God been doing across generations um, in this place among these people? Um, and I think attending to that sort of in that sense, attending to our differences and our uniqueness and our particularity, I think actually slows down the process um, in a really really good way, and you end up with something um, uh, that that is tuned particularly. Uh, uh, for the moment and, uh, and reading uh, history and culture um, uh, rightly to see what God is doing in this time and place. And this, uh, I, I think also, I, I fully concur with, uh, with everything that Matt has said. Um, um, I would only add uh, maybe here that this also has a kind of interior dimension uh, to it. Um, we are all... Um, out on the surface, and we find uh, often very little time to uh, attend to the interior uh, life and purposes of our lives are obviously tied to the settings in which we find ourselves and how do we negotiate in these settings to um, achieve those purposes or to live them out in the in the concrete ways. But they're also tied deeply to the interior uh, interior life. There is kind of entire world that, that lives uh, within us to which we need to pay uh, pay attention. And I think one of the things that I've become persuaded over the years is that uh, theology is this very and Christian faith actually, because Christian faith is also, but theology is Christian theology is this very peculiar discipline that pays careful attention to the finest steerings of human heart and to the global movements of markets uh, and uh, of, uh, of politics and uh, of, uh, of, of ecology uh, or of the, of the kind of the, the nature itself. And I think in, in, the, in between these large, uh, both, both the, the, the smallest and the largest uh, kind of settings, uh, theology moves. Uh, and situates uh, us uh, and guides us and uh, points us to the power of a life that isn't simply our own, but a life that is God's uh, within the world and within us. I guess an important question is, uh, does Louis' lunch count as fast food or slow food? I, I I'm no fan of Louis lunch. I don't, I don't know about that. Never had it. That could be that could be heresy from a from a New Havener. But yeah. oh wow, guys! I mean, how long <laughs> you, how long have you been there? I mean, I only lived there a year, and I had Louis. 
I've I've been uh, well, to Louis' lunch. I I like I said. So so my heresy human, may be may be worse. No no no. This is the origin of the hamburger. Oh yeah yeah. yeah. I see I see. Yeah. Well, well, there's a tradition. There is a. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you wrote about. Uh, there's also a crisis theology focusing on the internal external factors that are um, affecting academic theology, and we're in this odd place in history where the old way of thinking and the new way of thinking are colliding. This, of course, is nothing new. This happened in great moments of innovation, such as the Renaissance and modernity and postmodernity. Um, yet, what I found fascinating was that your observations. Uh, the rejection of both modes of progressive and conservative theology at this point. You wrote, theology's engagement needs to be both more theological and more transformative. Uh, neither reactionary pinning from a non-existent lost golden age nor progressive griping bereft of positive visions will suffice. The corruption and injustice of the world demand a more theological response. Take us in a little deeper there. Well, I think one of the one of the things that we are concerned uh, concerned there is um, that in um, in both the, the um, more conservative or uh, and uh, progressive um, projects and uh, endeavors uh, movements uh, you can use different terms to describe what, what what's missing is the articulation of a positive uh, positive vision positive vision that looks toward the, the future. And um, um, Jesus came um, and he proclaimed the good news and the content of the good news was that the kingdom of God was uh, coming. It had a particular shape for that kingdom and it was announced as coming to us today and required engagement uh, from us. Now it's this orientation toward the future with the positive content that um, I think, that we think uh, has to characterize uh, Christian theology because it has to characterize Christian uh, life. We also mentioned there that, uh, you know, uh, I, have a, uh, I have a gripe speech, I have a complaint speech. Uh, it's not going to uh, help us uh, terribly. We have to have, I have a dream speech and theology is fundamentally about I have a dream speech. Not that there's no reason to complain, right? Uh, the dream is predicated on something that is worthy to be critiqued, but nonetheless it's articulated positively rather than simply in the kind of negative negative terms. And I think uh, one more thing to, uh, to mention, um, uh, uh, my sense is that a lot of theology is an echo of other cultural movement that's there in kind of theological, uh, in theological mode. And sometimes I think that we say as theologians things in a, in a kind of broken uh, um, English what other people say in perfectly fine Oxbridge uh, accent. And, uh, you know, so um, uh, we, we repeat and stutter in, in, in repeating and give a bit of, uh, bit, bit of holy water, sprinkle a bit of ho holy water, and then we thought we've done, said something really great. Um, that's a, that's a that's a cynical read <laughs> of uh, what, what's happening, but but it's it's I think in significant degree it's, it's true, and we're calling ourselves and calling others to try to do better as theologians. I think was something you heard in in Marisol's response, and 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 also I think was in the text that you quoted. Um, just to make clear. We're not critiquing liberal and prog or you know progressive and conservative modes of theology in order to 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 
advocate a sort of uh, quietism, right? This is not to say that um, that we need to instead, you know, sort of disengage from the world, but precisely um, because the world demands engagement, um, the sort of uh, deficient modes of of, uh, uh, of theology that we've named in these ways uh, seem to be um, uh, seem seem to be uh, uh, lacking. Um, so it's for the sake of actually um, productive engagement, at times even productive uh, uh, political social engagement, um, that we need to have a robust theology um, that's that's doing its own work, um, mining its own resources to find its own its own vision, um, rather than just finding ways to uh, yeah say in theological terms what has already been uh, said elsewhere. Hmm. Well, in the applicable sense, I think I've discovered. Um... <laughs> Really, in the last couple of years, there's fundamentalism on the right and the left. Um, but maybe what I hear from your writing is uh, don't lose sight of a theology of love of others, even if you don't see eye to eye with that person in the pursuit of being right. Yeah, no, no, I, I think and that's one of the one of the kind of fundamental convictions of the Christian faith that I think qualifies the type of work that theologians needs to needs to do. Uh, kind of, it, it defines the theological stance so that um, both so that I can uh, practice something like a hermeneutic of charity, uh, even in most unlikely places, even from most unlikely places, I can I can learn uh, and I can uh, I can be enriched. But that presupposes that one has a commitment to what is at the heart and the center of one's uh, one's faith. It happens though. That the very center of our faith is tied to the deep conviction that uh, not just that God is love and therefore loves unconditionally, but that that same or similar kind of love is demanded also of the Christians. Which is to say, um, we're both critics and bridge builders. <laughs> we see in others. Um, their best selves and even when they aren't uh, at their best we are still committed to be with them to kind of return them from the good from which uh, to the good from which they had fallen what this book boils down to um for me and and i'm sure that's really great to hear after you spent you know year plus countless hours writing is is a call for uh an articulate vision of flourishing life, true life. Um, there is the academic perspective of why this matters, but I wonder if you might talk about your personal discovery of a life led well and why you think it matters for others. Um, yeah, yeah, I can. Um, I, it's very hard for me actually to to. Uh, to speak about this in one way, because I mentioned early on in the interview that when I was about 16, I had this uh, turnabout. But if you ask me what I've experienced then, uh, I stutter in narrating. Something fundamental, a fundamental shift has occurred, but I couldn't quite narrate it. It was nothing like Apostle Paul. Uh, light coming from above. Uh, I'm on my horse and then suddenly find myself on the ground and it, nothing of the sort. In fact, I didn't particularly notice uh, something, but my mother did. Other people uh, 
did. What, what has happened, and to me that's an indication, it's not some kind of a flashy experience, but it was a kind of re-centering and reordering of life around which slowly, I think in my case it was, slowly it, it, it's almost like, like I was turned toward a picture that was somewhat uh, fuzzy. And slowly as, I, as I'm turning and walking toward it, it becomes clearer and clearer and becomes my task then to try to help others uh, to see what I'm seeing the, the, uh, in terms of directionality of, uh, of my life. And uh, for me, this kind of movement toward is a feature of Christian faith, which is to say we haven't arrived, we're always on, on the journey, but we're on a journey towards something, and keeping that vision in front of us is a fundamental feature of, uh, of our life as Christians, and I think it's a condition of being a good theologian. I think uh, this, is a, this is a really good question, and it's one that we're trying to wrestle with in the book, and we wrote a chapter that we knew was going to be hard hard to write and, uh, and and hard to talk about. I mean, thinking about the lives, what do the lives of theologians have to do with the theology that they write? Um, for me, um, your question makes me think of the, um, the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Mark, in which Jesus twice asks the question, what do you want me to do for you? Um, and maybe this is that, that those two, uh, these two things at once that, that Miroslav was talking about earlier on, that both this sort of affirmation, what, 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 what do you want? Jesus is interested to know the honest answer to that question. But he's also obviously interested in, in helping us answer that question better, <laughs> having us ask not just for what we want, but for what's actually worth wanting. And, um, and you know, James and John say, uh, allow us to sit one at your right and one at your left when you enter your kingdom. And they're asking for a certain sort of greatness. And Jesus says, of course, you don't know what you're asking for. Uh, the ones who are going to sit at the right and the left have already been appointed. We read later in the Gospel of Mark that these are the criminals crucified on his right and his left. There's too much to, in that passage to dig into uh, in the time we have, but there's, but all to say, like for me, the, the difference this makes is, um, is allowing Jesus into that question of sort of core desires and that 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 vision of life that's that's uh, that's, that's animating. Um, I'm by nature a relatively driven person, and I've hung around Yale for 16 to however long it's been. Uh, uh, 20 some years, 21 years, um, wow. which is uh, full of uh, a bunch of very driven people. Um, and uh, to allow Jesus, for example, to, to redefine um, what greatness actually is and, and what God's purposes might be um, uh, in, terms of, uh, in terms of greatness, what that, the shape that that might take, the way that that might look like um, uh, uh, crucifixion, the way that that might look like suffering, the way that that might look like entering into the suffering of others. Um, that, uh, 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 that leverage that, that the gospel has to fundamentally change the, the goals and aspirations of our life, um, I think that's what's uh, ultimately, personally for me, uh, at, at stake in this project. What's your greatest hope for the book? You really want the greatest? 
<laughs> well, billions of copies. <laughs> no, 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 actually, actually, right, right. actually, actually, I would be fine if it sell no copies, but if it changed the way in which theology and humanities are pursued uh, in uh, in our uh, in our universities uh, and in our theological schools, I mean, uh, actually, most what matters uh, to us a kind of discovery of theology that matters, discovery of the theology that is tied to the vision of who we, uh, both individually and collectively as human beings and who our world is to be, theology that is in the service of the world becoming, uh, as uh, it says in at the very end uh, of the New Testament, the world becoming the home of God. If it serves that purpose, and to the extent that it does, uh, we've it, it, it's done its uh, it, it it has fulfilled its expectation from from me. Yeah, theology finds its way back to the center of our of our discourse um, as human beings about what who we are and what this life is for. Um, if that's not too immodest, <laughs> that that would be our goal. Well. I it's for you know, it's way it's going to uh, be possible. It's not simply that if, if so. So we we in the in the book we think we talk about academic theology primarily, but academic theology is construed in analogy to ordinary everyday lay theology, and theology is kind of intelligence of faith. Uh, if that from academic theology went down and this kind of theology became the discerning, articulating, commending uh, activity of every single uh, Christian, that would be the goal. Okay, well, I will wish for y'all also with that, that it sells billions of copies. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. You can follow Matt Mirslav on Twitter. Of course, go out and purchase for the life of the world. If you are in New Haven, Connecticut, stop by Louis' lunch before you see Matt and Mirslav at Yale. <laughs> Matt Mirzloff, thank them you. They have to go. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for inviting us uh, to contemplate and live a life well led. Thank you very much. Good Thanks. to talk to you. Thanks for having us. Well, that's it. That's our episode. Be sure to check out our annual sponsors' websites: the Center for Congregational Health at HealthyChurch.org and Fuller Seminary at Fuller.edu. For more information about the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, including stories about our church starters, field personnel, leadership development, peer learning groups, and advocacy, visit cbf.net.